who doesn't love a list? <laughs> it appeals to the OCDness in people, I think. I can quickly drum a um, targeted media database for pretty much any client with any topic of interest, which is really invaluable to me. Hi and welcome to Insider. I'm your host, Mike Woodcock. Joining us today is KBI founder and show host, Carissa Breen. Now, after founding KBI Media back in 2017, Carissa has grown the brand into the leading hub for cybersecurity news and updates. And with a global footprint, she's here today to talk about her audience, what's new at KBI Media, and what they're trying to get done for their audience. Welcome, Carissa. She's just joining us in a moment. Hey, Mike. Thank hey, you. Carissa. No, thanks so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I, you're out there in the field right now, um, up in Queensland, I understand. Yes, I'm currently on a vacation, but I could not miss this opportunity. But in saying that, I've been on other calls anyway, because again, people, I, you know, I deal with people all over the world. So sometimes it doesn't stop. So not my usual habitat at the moment, but that's absolutely fine. So thanks for having me. No, really appreciate you taking time out from your holiday. Um, it's part of the work ethic that's in KBI media become what it has in, in such what I consider to be a relatively short space of time. Um, uh, I know that we talked earlier off camera a little bit about some of the editorial goals that you guys have got there. One of the interesting things that I find about KBI media is, is that it speaks almost directly to the folks um, out there with the problems on their desks rather than um, the more broader audience. Would, would you say that's sort of the audience that you're looking to reach out to right now? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for people, you know, even like yourself, Mike, I've been a practitioner historically by, by trade, if you want to call it that, for the last 10 years. So for me, um, what I've created, not that I sort of set out to do this, started off with their flagship podcast and then saw an opportunity probably around 18 months ago to develop a multimedia uh, cybersecurity trade publication. Um, so we developed a proof of concept. It worked and then just recently launched a brand new uh, 12-month build of our new media site. Um, so for us, I, I, I mean, oh, has it dropped out? No, we can still hear you just fine. Yeah. So, you know, going back to my, um, my train of thought there, it's, that's absolutely critical in terms of always thinking about the industry first, because again, um, I've, I've been a practitioner historically. And for me, uh, people know me, I've worked with them, I've consulted to them. So, I do feel that there's a level uh, for me as a founder, but also on the front line and at the coalface of responsibility and accountability. And I think people 100% keep me accountable um, across all the forms of media that we, we do as well. One of the things I've found uh, about speaking with security uh, security companies is they're generally pretty shy about sharing anything that I would consider to be news um, simply because that's the nature of the of, of the beast I suppose do you find that much of a challenge in when you when you're reaching out and having a conversation with people is that they are a bit reticent to talk about some of the security challenges that they have yeah and there's a couple of uh, responses to that question and yes absolutely you're right I think just by by nature cybersecurity people are you know they're a little bit more you know don't want to put their name out in the limelight, et cetera. I think one of the things that we've done really, really well is offsetting that by me asking the questions. I've found people are more happy to do that rather than them standing on their soapbox independently and talking about it. The reason why media is successful, especially in the form that we do in interviews and, and podcasts, is you're getting someone to tell, drive that story. And, 
tell that narrative for you in a way by asking those questions and you're just sort of coming in then as the expert. So again, I think for me, yes, people are scared, uh, but again, I think it's how you approach them and, and working alongside these people, um, you know, really in the weeds and on the tools. I've really had a fundamental understanding of the mechanics, what they think about, what they care about. Um, so for me, I think that's an added advantage for what we do um, because I've done it myself. And that's really, really important that I permeate that message throughout, you know, the company and, and what we what we exist for. Yeah, good. That, thank you. Um, again, one of the things that we talked about off camera was the idea that um, you guys don't just go for those big headlines. You go for what happens next. So an example would be, um, say, Optus, where they've had a challenge that was a technical challenge, might not be a cybersecurity challenge, but a lot of the a lot of the larger major newspapers might go for the headline that affects everyone. But you guys talk about what happens next. Yeah, absolutely, Mike, because if you look at a national, for example, like they, they don't really play in the follow-up stage because that's not what their audience are listening to. They're going to do the top-line news headline, Optus, Outreach, et cetera, but then what happens after that? So we really come in, do the follow-up. What does this mean then for an industry as well? Again, going back to the level of responsibility and accountability that I believe is on my shoulders personally, um, not a lot of people do that. Why? They don't have this specialisation. Again, we only talk about cybersecurity. Uh, they don't have the nous that I've, you know, that I've had over the last decade to drive those conversations. Um, and, you know, it's hard. You know, I've got to sit in front of people and people that have done this a lot longer than me and, and ask them to, you know, explain to me their experience of 30 years. And I think that that's something that's a point of difference. And that's where, again, going back into why I did this, there was a real gap in the market for doing that, doing it well and doing it, you know, from a, you know, granular enough that people can actually derive insights um and i think that that's what was needed yeah yeah understandable can we just have a look at your audience briefly um how would you describe your audience how many folks were we talking about what sort of industries were they and what would their day be look what would their day be like so we've gone for the executive market. And when I mean executive, I don't just mean CISOs and CIOs. I mean all executives. It was quite apparent to me that people like a CFO, for example, signing off on a cybersecurity solution, which isn't cheap, uh, need to be across it. And I didn't find anything in the market really having that conversation at that level. Again, we're not a sunrise interview, but again, we're not an interview where we're going to get into the nuts and bolts and the you know the zeros and the ones i think there's a lot of those podcasts and shows out there which are 100 percent needed but our focus is executives um and you know just through some of the research that we have been doing and we're always updating this uh, we're not just australian focused we've got quite a large audience in the united kingdom the united states australia of course is number one um and those executives uh, we know we've got we've just updated our media kit so they would range from you know large enterprises um into you know more sme space uh, so they are a range but again we're talking at that level for people that they can understand conceptually what all this stuff means Cybersecurity is one of the most complex technical areas you can get when it comes to information technology and i think that not enough people are driving the right conversation at that level and that's why we have a massive misunderstanding in this space um, and that's really where we believe we offer significant value, not only to the Australian market, but to a global market then as well. Um, and I will touch on some of our podcast stats. Again, this is where I started before expanding into the multimedia um, trade publication side of things. I mean, we've got 227 or whatever it is 
podcast out there in the wild in the public eye um, and you know we've generated more than 300,000 downloads we would definitely 100% would influence more than a billion dollars worth of people spending on cybersecurity solutions um, and I've interviewed people uh, CEOs of large vendors people in the US government um, so this show is for serious operators that really know what they're talking about and we would sit in the top five percent uh, in the world um, and if you want to fact check that uh, it's via listennotes.com so for me again it stands with that show but then also then uh, broadening that capability into other mediums uh, simply because people consume content in various ways thank you that's 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 a really complete answer i appreciate that um how do you start finding stories in your space i mean there, there's so much that you can cover how many of the stories come to you how many of them break um by themselves and, and how many do you have to go looking for what does your day look like as far as building a story i think even after um and i will i will credit nick ross here for introducing um you know my, myself to people like like you guys at influencing um, as well as the broader uh, public relations community um we were just doing it naturally by our, our own sort of my own network and then people sort of discovered that we existed and yeah people do come to us um, I do go out with people that if I know that they, I know exactly what sort of end client that they have. So I know that there may be a specialization that X client may have. So I sort of understand a little bit more fidelity on who they are servicing. So it might make sense. I'd say it's a range of different things though. Um, and I think now cybersecurity is becoming really at the forefront. Yeah. Again, coming up with that follow-up piece for the industry and actually to serve the industry. Um, I think that's where, People are, I'm starting to see more and more people um, coming to us and talking to us about a range of different cybersecurity um, issues and topics, et cetera. Um, and don't forget, it's not just written stuff, it's podcasts as well. Um, and we cover a full spectrum of things. So there is a place uh, on our platform for every bit of content, provided it sits within our publishing guidelines. Okay. Um, now to that, um, and thanks for name checking Nick Ross and I like that. Um, for our audience, if you've got any questions, if you want any uh, pictures that you want to put, put up there and you're brave enough, please feel free. I, we love them on the show. Um, Carissa, I, I, um, with, with stories that come to you, what makes a good pitch? What makes a bad pitch? What makes something stand out? And what makes it right for your show? So I'm going to stay clear of anything being bad. And I, and I caveat that by saying, you know, I'm obviously a specialist in this space and I know that PR people, they're not cybersecurity practitioners by trade. So it's never like, I think, oh, like that's a bad pitch. I think what's helpful is, you know, if you're pitching someone, make sure they really understand the content. Um, you know, they probably just by default, they have to have some technical mouse behind them. But again, in saying that, I mean, if you're talking about social engineering, you don't need to be a, a technical person to be able to talk about that topic. But again, if we're, we are talking about something that does require technical expertise, it's, I think that's, that has to be included then. Why? Because I like to ask a lot of questions. I like to go into the mechanics of how things work. I want to understand things in a little bit more detail, which again gives us the um, point of difference in the space. So for me, I think, again, definitely like emails. I don't mind text messages as well. And I know that's probably not something that people are familiar with, um, simply because I actually don't like writing emails. So for me, I either batch them, I try to get to them every day, uh, but I, I also try to make it very, very important for me and also my team to get back to people and explain why, hey, this may not be the right story or the right fit. Um, and I think we are getting closer to that North Star. 
Uh, we are pretty prescriptive in terms of what we are looking for. Again, I think, you know, I can dig a little bit deeper. So if the pitch feels too generic or too high level, um, I'll probably just forego that. And then if something's quite specific and very, very unique, I think that's something that would sort of pique my interest. But also time of the day. Sometimes yesterday I was on a plane uh, flying to Queensland, as you know, and someone emailed me something. So it was just the right time. So I think that depends as well. So I don't think there's a blanket rule, but I think for me, providing examples, specificity is really, really important and also high caliber people then as well. So um, usually by default, my people are relatively senior. In saying that though, some people are too senior that they can't get into the mechanics because that's not their day-to-day job. So I guess that would depend, um, but, you know, we do consider everything and we will go back to people if someone emails me like someone did yesterday about something that had nothing to do with us because we are a cybersecurity media company. So you do get the random things that come through, which isn't relevant to us at all. But, of course, I always like to engender being very polite and respectful of people because it goes both ways. So, um, again, a very complete answer and thank you. Um, what advice would you give for a PR person that wanted to get something in front of you today? Um, and what's the best email address that we would share news across? So t- I get a few pictures that come to me directly. So I think that's still good. So kb at kbi.media, uh, but then also we have a group production inbox. So that's production at, k- at kbi.media because um, a few of us manage it. So even if it goes to someone else, I get sent it Um I think that's an easier way. But then also I like to build relationships with people. Some people I do find are like more email centric. I do like meeting, getting out and meeting people. It makes it a bit easier um, on, you know, if you can have those conversations. So maybe I am a bit different to to typical other journalists out there, but it is really important for me to build those relationships and know that it is a two-way street. It's not just about what we think. It also is help from the PR community to say, hey, have you considered this? Um, and a lot of them have been quite instrumental in our growth and also the new development of our site then as well. So I will also acknowledge that um, it's not just always about what we think. Thank you. Thanks. That's great to hear that out loud from somebody. And I, I feel that uh, that sort of approach has uh, given quite a few folks permission to start throwing up some questions. So I'll go now to Cameron, um, who said, uh, thanks so much for jumping on the show. I hope you're enjoying the break. Um, wanted to check in whether you're interested in cybersecurity and renewable energy um, in consideration of the Federal Climate Change Department Secretary talking about this in the Senate recently. Yeah, look, I mean, I've never spoken about renewable energy and cybersecurity. I think that's a topic that I haven't really explored. And it wouldn't really matter if I haven't explored it anyway because everyone's got a different opinion, different experiences on the matter. Um, so I think we... Sorry, and I, I didn't mention this before, Mike, just for uh, clarification. I've actually developed more of a template as well, like how the pitch would sit, especially on a podcast point of view. So we will sort of go back with, hey, if you can develop the the questions in this format or the mm-hmm. you know pieces of information, it's just a bit easier for us to, so to, to compute what it is, but then also to produce something like an interview. Um, and then also I will add, we are part of our... Um, outreach that goes to, you know, when someone signs up for an interview, we will be working it through with, hey, these are the types of things that we're really looking for in an interview. Again, I think being really prescriptive is really, really paramount important because, again, you have less sort of conversation saying, hey, that wasn't great. I think being really, really clear in what you want makes PR's job a lot easier. Um, So, yeah, quite happy to understand a little bit more about cybersecurity and renewable energy. 
Fantastic. That's great news. Um, and this is a question that I, I know we always get around this time of year. Are you interested mm -hmm. in, in hearing uh, um, uh, senior execs, predictions, trends, um, things like that, looking ahead for 2024? Thank you, Sophie Lau. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there's a few people out there that are against that. Um, again, uh, and I will reiterate, this is more to me than a media company. Again, I've got my face attached to a lot of things that I do, which is why there's a lot of K's and everything. Mm. Um, but also there's a there's a level of due diligence I need to do by the industry. And if we can have multiple voices telling different stories, why not? Um, people can make up their own mind on whether they believe it or not believe it. And I think that, again, I think it's something that we need to democratise the content and that's what we're really here to do. There's no paywalls, there's none of that. We have other commercial models that we've employed, which we believe is modern and I think actually suits the the user and the consumer of the content but also the people that are you know paying for for their for their name up and likes but in a way that's not invasive uh and, and also in a way which we believe we strike the balance between uh, maintaining our media costs but then also ensuring that the people consuming the content um, are satisfied then as well are there any stories that you uh, are on your wish list gee i could write a story covering this space or i wish i could do something on on this oh, area. Well, Mike, I think there are many stories. I mean, the reason why I, I have very little sleep is because I, I genuinely care about the space. I'm, I'm, I'm curious and I'm interested in it. I live and breathe it. Um, I think there are many stories. I think, you know, even the dark web, I think even I'm writing a story now at the moment about the cybersecurity strategy that got released. Um, there's always something going on in the space, which I think it's, it's amazing. It can be intense at times um, because also our focus is not just Australia. Um, and part of our new development of our new platform, there is a global news section. Um, so that encompasses other parts of the world and other regions. So for me, um, another thing that's really important as well is the convergence between national security and cybersecurity. Don't really see anyone doing that. They're either just cyber or just national. There's not a lot of people sort of um, touching on the intersection between the both worlds because... I mean, it's a big play, and this is how a lot of our wars are going to be fought out moving mm. forward, starting off as cyber warfare, then moving into more physical wars. Even if they don't transition into interconnetic warfare, it's it, some would argue that there's there's actual warfare happening right now in the digital realm. It just never really makes the news just because it's just so ubiquitous. Absolutely. Um, and it's going to get worse because we all operate on the internet, et cetera. Um, so I think that this space isn't going anywhere as long as the internet keeps running, which it will. It's going to get worse. And I don't believe there's a lot of people telling the right story. Mm. Why they don't come from that background to tell it well enough, I believe. But then also um, you get people that really, really know it that are not the best people to talk about it intelligently. So I think that's the gap that we've really filled. And I think that we're doing that quite successfully. What impact do you think artificial intelligence will have in cybersecurity over the coming year to 18 months? Well, it depends on how you look at it. For me, I think it's a great thing. I think it's going to increase velocity um, on things. It's also going to main, mean that people aren't sitting there looking at menial tasks. It will also reduce people looking at independent sort of every single alert. If you're getting a thousand alerts an hour, that's a lot of time that someone manually has to go and look at something. So if you can leverage AI to do the, you know, the more uh, mundane tasks, why not? Um, but of course, in every sort of um, emergence of, of new technology, there's a double-edged sword of that problems that it creates. Mm. I think it's a good thing. I think it's still very early days in terms of uncharted water on, well, how does this look? Because there's no rule book on how it looks. 
I'm going to say I'm really for it. But again, you know, maybe other people look at it a little bit differently, but we need to be able to say, well, if the cyber criminals are attacking us with, you know, leveraging AI, we need to be able to defend against it with artificial intelligence. Appreciate that. Thank you. There's a lot of folks that are uh, very negative on AI at the moment. So it's nice to hear a counter perspective. Um, so I don't understand it enough, but I'll also blame mainstream media who don't understand it in any sort of fidelity that are writing those stories. Um, and I've spoken about this at length. Um, that would be why. Um, there is, you know, I'm not going to wake up one day in, in my lifetime and, you know, things are just going to start, you know, doing stuff on its own. Um, I think we're still a long way from that. Um, so, again, I think sometimes there needs to be, you know, fact-checked on the stories that are written out there across the world on we're not going to be in a situation where we have terminators in this lifetime, no. Um, so I think maybe certain uh, media outlets should refrain from from having any sort of, um, you know, serious conversation around that, and that's why, you know, I like to get people on on my show to answer those questions that are, you know, that are experts in the field. Fantastic. Um, now, to your show, Carissa, can I, at the end of this, can we make sure that we get your new media kit and yes. also that's uh, a guidance document that you talked about it in terms of sharing pictures across with you guys, just so we can share them out with our audience? So I've got the media kit on hand. In terms of the other document, it's half-baked, but we also – so part of what we do from a process point of view, someone signs up for the podcast, we leverage technology to do the heavy lifting. Okay. We send a link out, they, you know, bio and headshot of the guests, et cetera, talent release forms all embedded. And then probably after that will be, hey, these are our expectations from how you answer the questions from our point of view. Um, we will probably embed that there. So if yeah. you would have mind, I, I don't want to send things prematurely. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I like to do things with precision, um, but that is there um, to, to give people more guardrails. Yeah, no, appreciate that. Um now, Sophie, I've got one question, um, which you might feel comfortable, you might not. Would you be comfortable sharing your contact number to discuss any potential articles you might be interested in? Um, and Dylan asks, would you prefer um, a text um, for follow-ups or you prefer a phone call? And if so, what's the best number for that? Yes, I'm happy to – do you want me to share it now or do I – Yeah, if, if you're okay with that. Do you want me to type it in the chat box? Oh, if you want to, we can go ahead and do that here, I think. Yeah, producer's giving me a nod. Yeah, okay. So, um, all right, so I'll just do it real quick because it's easy to copy-paste. Um, okay. Yeah, so I think an email initially is fine, and then, yeah, follow-up text I think is better. And I always caveat that with saying I will get back to people at weird times because I do work different uh, time zones. Um, so it's not that, you know, I'm ignoring you or whatever. I work East Coast time zone and also United Kingdom hours. So for me, if I'm messaging you at 10 p.m. at night, it's not because I want to disrupt your day. <laughs> just probably because I've looked at it or I do the graveyard shift at times. Yep, understand. And I'm aware that we've taken way too much of your time today um, and, and I'm very grateful for you coming on. I do want to ask you one last question. I do ask everyone this one. What story have you worked on that you're most proud of or you feel the most connection with? Look, I'm going to unfortunately say the Optus stuff and I, and I say it not from a point of view of putting the boot into Optus even though I was impacted from a business perspective I think also giving people the right insight around well, what does this mean for the rest of the industry you know telecommunications companies critical infrastructure you know there's a lot of other stories going around around the Socky Act and all of that what does that look like so I think what people probably aren't addressing are the flow-on effects from a breach especially 
uh, you know, a company like Optus from a you know telco point of view, people can't call people. What then starts happening? Imagine if Optus, you know, didn't get back up and running in one or two days. You know, a couple of days, like whole our whole society would have started really going downhill. So for us, I think it's like thing breach happened or whatever it is. Let's actually really explore what this means. Yes, for the the company, but also for the broader industry and the community, and also the supporting businesses around that. Because I think you know things are very interconnected um, nowadays, and we need to be able to to talk about that at length. And what does this actually mean? Yeah. And solutions forward for people to to understand in, in more detail about. Well, I now need to get myself sorted because I could be responsible in the next breach. I think from from a policy standpoint as well, it, it it actually reveals a positive in that with multiple telcos, you now got if there's one of them goes goes down, yes, it, it hurts, but it doesn't hurt as much as it would have back in the eighties when you just had Telstra. Now, if it had just been Telstra that it affected, then that's everyone down for days and days and days. But having Optus Telstra, having alternates means you've got defense in redundancy there. You do have redundancies, but we're in 2023, and if Optus went down to that significant level, phone and internet, which I believe I was quoted in the Australian through our lovely friend uh, Joe Lamb, never seen that happen in my lifetime, yeah. uh, and more of other people as well. Um, so I think, look, internet I can deal with, but phone, come on, we're not in the 1940s or 50s. We need to be better, and for a billion-dollar company, I think people were expecting a little bit more than that, especially after what happened 14 months ago. So I think that again, these things are really interesting stories to see how it, um, you know, fall, how it unfolds. Um, and I and I think that again, I don't know if people are really paying attention to if one of these things goes down, how does that impact the rest of our society quite significantly? So we have to make sure companies like telcos are always up and running. And if there is a problem, which happens, technical, you know, technical things happen and things malfunction, we have to have that redundancy in place. Um, so I think it 100% blindsided me and other people across Australia. Um, and again, we need to be better at it because the way I see it, Mike, I think Australia is going downhill from a cybersecurity point of view. And my question is why? Carissa, uh, I, I think we have to leave it there. That's a fantastic answer and it's a great question. And I know that whatever comes down the pipe next in terms of cybersecurity, you'll be there to answer the, ask the questions and explore what do we do next. Absolutely, Mark, and I just want to leave, uh, maybe leave your audience on this note that it is important to me. I genuinely care about the space. Uh, doing this and leading this is more than a media thing for me and just a job for me. Um, so I'm going to do my very best to make sure that I'm always on the hook for these things and doing things properly. And again, we are evolving what we're doing, so I'm excited for that moving forward. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today, Carissa. Yeah, I really right. appreciate your time. Yeah, appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye now. Thanks for joining us on Influencing Insider today. That was Carissa Breen from KBI Media. We do hope you join us next week. Until then, bye for now.